Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Glad to have you here. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple updates on things that maybe you weren't aware of. Well, you were aware of. You're listening to the show. You're aware of it. And uh, see if I can get to it all. There's a couple things I want to get to that are, that, are, that are just moderate updates. And the first is that there have now been over 276,000 migrant encounters at the southern border in December. That is the, those are encounters. That's where someone from the U.S. encountered these folks from an official standpoint. That's not the unseen, the gotaways, all that. These are the ones they've encountered. That is the, the highest single month ever recorded in the history of our nation doing such a thing. Breaking the prior record set in September at 269,735. There's still three days left. Record is being shattered every minute. The new record number includes over 230,000 Border Patrol apprehensions of illegal immigrants in December, also the highest single month of apprehensions ever recorded for the Border Patrol. We are now at over 760,000 migrant encounters since October 1st, making the first quarter of fiscal 24 the highest ever recorded. That's a population size bigger than Seattle in three months. All records being blown out of the water under the Biden administration as the crisis gets worse day by day. There's a level of insanity about this. I can't imagine why anyone in elected office from any party finds this remotely acceptable. You know, you hear about protests and people gluing their hands to the streets and stuff. It is astounding that that we haven't reached the fever pitch of outcry about what's going on our southern border. It's 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 a full-scale invasion. And there doesn't seem to, you have to wonder if it were tanks, would they defend the border? If it were tanks and missiles coming across, would they defend it? Is that the way to invade America? Just put 5 million people in the border, have them walk across. We won't stop them. It, it's, it's unthinkable. It's unbelievable. Now, worth noting, on the heels of this, California has now become the first state in the country to offer health insurance to all eligible, kind of a strange word, undocumented adults. More than 700,000 undocumented immigrants between the ages of 26 and 49 are going to be eligible for MedCal with their new law. They're not citizens. Now, furthermore, in the shelters in New York for undocumented immigrants, they've been handing out voter registration forms. Meliotakis, step representative from New York, documented that. They're handing out voter registration forms uh, there has been a move by some leftist to allow folks, at least at the city level, for people who are not legal citizens to vote in city elections, which should ensure that the largesse of government will be given away even more. These are just minor updates on the situation. It, it, it's kind of a, a bizarre reality that we're living in. Um, just bizarre. So an, another update I want to give you, remember uh, Will, uh, Reverend Dr. William Barber 
So he was going to have a press conference yesterday. He's decided and said he had it today. So I haven't heard the update. It was 1130. He wanted, he's the one who took his, he had an assistant bring his special chair to a theater in Greenville. Uh, he and his elderly mother wanted to go see the color purple. It turned into a big fracas because, you know, 17, 18 year olds that are working in the theater said, no, you can't do that. If you've got a wheelchair, that's for handicap. Just don't bring your own chair to the theater. And he, of course, had people filming it to make it look like he was a victim. Uh, we had a caller yesterday that did a great job of saying, hey, my daughter's handicapped. She's in a wheelchair. We've never had a problem anywhere. AMC's never had a problem, but now they've issued an apology because Barbara, who acts like a bully now, he's going to speak out. And of course, uh, the the media can't wait for Barbara to speak. He's been kind of out of the news looking for something, and now he's found a way to be a victim. So that's an update there. I had mentioned the Nikki Haley story, and I know many of you have heard about it. I think it's it's kind of a, a bizarre situation. So Nikki Haley, a former governor, a very experienced individual. She's served in the Trump administration as our representative to the UN. She is polished. She's poised. She's uh, a, a bit hawkish, but a Republican, I would say, light years ahead of what's in the White House right now. I would say, you know, of the people running, I certainly think DeSantis, Trump, and, and Haley, those being the front runners, those are all better than what's in there right now. I, there's distinctions with differences between each of those. Uh, it's nice that the three front runners for the Republican ticket are all executives who have served in executive roles. Something's very different from the Democrat side of things. Joe Biden has never been an executive until he becomes president. He was vice president. That was an ancillary go to funerals kind of thing under Obama. And then in the Senate, he never was you know that much of a distinctive leader in the Senate. Never was a governor, never been executive power, but it is what it is. So, so Nikki Haley's up in New Hampshire where she's doing quite well. She's only about 20 points behind Trump up there. And she was looking to move into the lead. And, and she just had a, a bad flub. And, and Wednesday, she, she was asked, a man at a town hall in Berlin, New Hampshire, had asked her, you know, what was the cause of the United States Civil War? Now, it seems odd. I don't know why someone would ask that. It has very little pretense to do with being president. Nonetheless, the question was a legitimate question. Someone asked it in a town hall. I don't know why. And she said, well, don't come with an easy question. Then she started to answer. I think the cause of the Civil War was basically how government was going to run, the freedoms and what people could and couldn't do, Haley said. I think it always comes down to the role of government and what the rights of the people are, and I will always stand by the fact that I think government was intended to secure the rights and freedom of the people. It was never meant to be all things to all people. Government doesn't need to tell you how to live your life. They don't need to tell you what you can and can't do. They don't need to be a part of your life. The question expressed, uh, it, that's an odd answer to what caused the Civil War. In the year 2023, it's astonishing to me that your answer that question without mentioning the word slavery, and Haley responded, so the individual was kind of surprised. It was, it was an odd answer. I'll, I'm, there's nobody you can dance around. It was an odd answer. What do you want me to say about slavery, Haley asked. And then the said said, well, you've answered my question. Thank you. Haley quickly started getting just barrage le left and right over what's going on and 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 because she never mentioned slavery now uh, she didn't mention states rights she didn't mention slavery she didn't mention secession she didn't there was a lot of things as a former southern governor she could have said and, and then when she gets confronted about it it her answers got she's digging herself out of a hole and it got pretty uncomfortable um 
and it just hasn't gone well. She goes, I want to nip it in the bud. Yes, we know the Civil War was about slavery, but more than that, what's the lesson of all this? That freedom matters, Haley said, on The Pulse in New Hampshire radio show. And individual rights and liberties matter for all people. That's the blessing of America. That was a stain on America when we had slavery. But what we want is never relive it, never let it. I, I don't know why she flubbed it that badly other than she's so polished, so poised, and so rehearsed that she wasn't able to just pivot. I would have think anybody at that level would be able to easily pivot and say, you know, just off. I mean, DeSantis has been asked that question. He handled it very well. But that is an unfortunate reality, something that did happen. I just wanted to bring your attention in case you weren't aware. Not putting Haley down. Uh, she served in the Trump administration. I think DeSantis benefited from Trump. I hate what I don't like is that these three have been pitted against each other in some kind of negative way. I don't like the way Trump treats them calls them names and stuff like that. I think that's petty. It, it was petty when it happened uh, in his big primary when, when he when he had to become president and he did it to Jeb Bush, low energy Jeb Bush and uh, small hands, I don't know, Rubio and Ted, Lion Ted. Anyway, it, it, became, it became kind of comical. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't. I don't know. I don't like that pettiness about it, but I'll still take Trump policies all day long over what we've got right now. Much more to go here on, on the station. I told you it probably wouldn't get below freezing until I was off the air. I, I'm trying to keep that promise because, you know, as the left will tell you, mankind is in control of the weather. So I'm controlling it personally and, and going to allow it to get below freezing after after I get off the air at some point, maybe over the weekend. I'll decide. I'll, you know, turn my car on, throw a few more CO2 particles out there, and boom, it's done. Now, along those lines... And by the way, I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, sitting in for Pete Callender here at Newstalk 1110-993-WBT. You want to call, you want to get in on the conversation, it's 704-570-1110. Um, 704-570-1110. Now, the mood, one of the big seismic shifts in 2023 from a public standpoint, voting, I mean, well, now, well voting with their pocketbooks or letting their pocketbooks do the talking is the concept of electric vehicles. Now, there was a lot of hype, certainly with Tesla becoming very popular and so many others, Ford and Chrysler and Toyota and all the rest of them. We're just going to have Rivian. There's even several in North Carolina that they're going to make electric vehicles. It was the big, oh, look, you know, the, 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 the Pandora's box has been, everybody's going to want an electric vehicle. They threw taxpayer subsidies in it to make it more affordable. I think about $7,500 in taxpayer subsidies out there. But, is it working? And it looks like the, the story of 2023 on that front is no. Uh, consumer message to the EVs from the messenger.com is that we're just not that into you. As a result, 2024 may be the year that the taxpayer inflated electric vehicle bubble burst. Earlier this month, Ford announced it is cutting its production of the electric F-150 in half. Tesla, GM, Volkswagen also recently scaled back their EV plans. According to the Wall Street Journal, at least 18 EV and battery startups, including the big names like Nikola, Fisker are on track to run out of money this coming year. Lordstrom Motors, Proterra, Electric Last Mile have all declared bankruptcy. EVs are piling up on car dealership lots. Car dealers report a 6 to 12 month supply of EVs versus a month of gas vehicles. In other words, you look at the lot, they've got 12 months worth of EV vehicles that they don't they think they're going to have trouble selling over the next 12 months versus they've got about a month of inventory for gas supplied vehicles. We have a steady number of clients that have attempted to or flat out return their electric cars, said Paul Lachelle, a dealership executive in D.C. According to S&P Global Mobility, half of non-Tesla EV owners 
purchase an internal combustion engine for their next vehicle. Auto dealers recently sent the Biden administration asking, they sent a letter to the Biden administration asking to, quote, tap the brakes on its radical plan to re-engineer American transportation by mandating that two-thirds of all new cars sold in America by 2032 BEVs up from only 6% today. It's just not going to happen, folks. Unless they, unless they, unless gas, and, and the left knows it. I'll get to this in a minute. I'll get to the, the policy implications. Auto dealers sent that letter. Consumer opposition to EVs isn't a big surprise. Start with their price tag. The average new EV sells for more than 50 grand, even with the taxpayer credits. That's far more than gasoline equivalencies. Then there's the range problems. And that became to me the biggest story of 2023. People, and I, you know, having had a hybrid years ago, that was a big thing. How long, especially when you're in the mountains, how long would the batteries last? Now, if you have a hybrid, you don't really worry because you got a gas-powered engine. It's just you, you like it's like playing a video game. You constantly try to keep the batteries charged and hyper mile and get the most miles. But if the batteries were the only thing that car had, the anxiety of not knowing when your car is going to run out, that's a big deal. It's real. If you've ever driven an electric vehicle, I showed, drove a I drove one one time, and, it, and that's the thing. You're looking at how long will my batteries last? The the, the range problem. Reports suggest that EVs real range is about 25% shorter than advertised. In other words, if they told you your car would go 200 miles, it'd only go about 150. 100 miles, it'd only go about 75. So that's a real fear because people don't drive the way the engine would operate in the laboratory. You drive a little more aggressively, a little less so. You have to stop, start more. Yeah, you know, you're trying to pass cars. There's a lot more to it. The lack of a reliable charging network, also a big hurdle. A Wall Street Journal analysis of the non-Tesla superchargers in LA found that 50% of them, out of order. These are new. Like, these are new things. They're out of order. Drivers often face long waits at the ones that do work. Quote, I rented an electric car for a four-day road trip, recounts one driver. I spent more time charging than I did sleeping. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm had the police called on her during her summer publicity stunt EV road trip after her advance team tried to reserve the last working charging station ahead of her arrival, preventing a family with a young boy from using it. These meaningful EV costs come with only minor operational savings. Over four days, we spent $175 on charging, reports the four-day EV renter. We estimated the equivalent cost for gas on the Kia Forte would have been about $275. Other analysis show a fast charge cost around $13 for 100 miles, the same amount as a $325 a gallon car would get 25 miles a gallon. They're more expensive to maintain, have nearly twice as many problems. Nonetheless, the political left continues to shove them down your throat. You're going to like it. You're going to like the lack of freedom. You're going to like that you don't have charging stations. You will like your batteries. The e the real kicker for the political left is that EVs might not really even be good for the environment either. If you look at the gut-wrenching images of African children mining cobalt with their bare hands for EV batteries, EVs are also far heavier than internal combustion counterparts, causing twice as much road degradation. Even though EVs don't pay the gas taxes that fund roads, the components in one EV reportedly can make 90 hybrids, reducing 37 times more emissions. So in other words, they're more damaging the roads. This is a problem for states like North Carolina. So North Carolina relies on gas taxes to fund road, re, you know, fixing roads, stuff like that. And one of the side effects that the liberal left loves about electric vehicles from a policy standpoint, one, they can control your cars because that's a computer thing. So they have they can keep more tabs on what you're doing. They also love to know they want to 
know where you're traveling to assess a mileage tax because you're not paying gas taxes. And if they can control the means of energy, they can control how much you can charge it. So if you want to evacuate an area, if they give you, they don't give you permission, you can't. Power goes out, you can't. Good luck cleaning up your yard with an electric chainsaw with no power. So there's all sorts of drawbacks. And then the government's trying to shove it down your throat before we're ready for it. There's no way the infrastructure is there. And it's bizarre. They don't want you to travel on airplanes. They don't want you to have your own cars. They want to make a prison of your life. We can't let them do that. By the way. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams, and it's been an absolute honor and privilege. Always is. Great team. We do have a caller on the line right now that uh, we'd spoken last night and said his ears must have been burning uh, as we had the call from uh, Larry Pittman yesterday and who had served with this individual in the House and had nothing but nice things to say. So, State Treasurer Dale Falwell, welcome to the broadcast. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Chad. Thank you for having me, and I'm <laughs> glad that former Representative Pittman was on there. And uh, you've always told me I have a face for radio, so we're ending the year on a good note. Well, I just found out Pete was almost 50, and I've got a few years on Pete. Didn't realize I was a bit older than him, so I'm trying to project a youthful exuberance here on the air myself. So, uh, Dale, you know, obviously you've been state treasurer now and done a phenomenal job. I don't think there's no disagreement on that. Even the, those on the other side of the aisle think you've done a better than competent job. So that that's high high praise indeed. You're running for governor now. And, you know, there's three of you. I think Andy Wells is no longer a part of the, of the situation. You've got yourself, the lieutenant governor, and, and Bill Graham, the lawyer investor from uh, the Salisbury area, I believe. So how do you think things are going? Well, things are going fantastic. And, you know, starting with the fact that uh, it's important for your listeners because they've had so many counterfeit conservatives uh, that they've witnessed over the years. I mean, the first job as an elected official is to do the job the voters hired you to do. And that's what I've done as the keeper of the public purse. And uh, we've put North Carolina in a position where the NC stands for nothing compares, uh, retiring nearly 60% of the state debt. DeSantis brags about 20. Uh, the elimination of the corporate income tax, which is getting ready to come through, uh, back-to-back years for business activity and business outlook. Uh, staying in the check delivery business for one of the largest pools of public money in the world on behalf of those that all that teach, protect, and serve. And the reason I'm going through that is that uh, I'm behind on the polls and I'm behind on the money. Uh, the polling reflects the fact that I've actually been doing my job as the state treasurer of North Carolina, not been traveling all over the state with a detail of four highway patrol uh, assigned to me, driving me all over the state for the last three years, because my duty station is actually in Raleigh, North Carolina. On the money side, uh, it's no secret that I've always been the best treasurer money can't buy. I'm going to be the best governor money can't buy. 
I think most of your listeners uh, understand that when they look into the situation with everything that's happening with our economy and our country, uh, money is the root of a lot of that. And the fact is that I'm going to use the skills that God gave me, the vision to see, the humility to listen, and the courage to act. And and But that's what we're doing. And uh, the campaign, the green flag, is getting ready to drop uh, on Monday. And uh, we're super excited about it. And I look forward to winning the primary and being the next governor uh explaining conservatism in a way that doesn't offend people and having a party that I joined nearly 50 years ago that's based on conservatism, common sense, courtesy, humility, humanity, and let's not forget and explaining all that in a way that doesn't offend people, hope versus hate. That's interesting. The other side, you know, there, there are two, there are several candidates running. I think there's five or six that signed up. There are three or four that signed up at the last minute. The odds-on favorite, Josh Stein, the current attorney general. Uh, Mike Morgan, former Supreme Court justice, also filed. He's probably the second-place candidate. looks like it's Josh Stein's to lose. On the other side, on the Republican side, there's a lot more undecided voters. It looks like in the polling that I've read and we went through extensively yesterday, about 50% of Republican voters or those who are going to vote in the primary have yet to make up their mind. Even though the polls are what they are about who's in the lead, the lieutenant governor and then you or uh, uh, Bill Graham and you, that there's still five out of 10 voters have not made up their minds on what they're going to do in the GOP primary. How do you intend to reach those? Because a lot of times it's it's media, it's buying commercials, and it's it, it's tough to get through to people. How do you reach people between now and the primary on March 5th? Well, we, we reach them through all different methods. And, you know, I'm not the most hateful. Uh, I'm not the loudest. I'm not the tallest, and I'm not the richest person running for governor. But... I'm the person that can actually attack problems and not attack people, and especially in this in this era. I think people are looking for competence. Uh, they want someone who will address the issues at DMV, DOT, DHHS, which includes mental health, foster care, and so many other issues. Crime and public safety. I mean, we still we still have a crime lab that's backed up, and you know some of our sheriffs have been told. Don't even send samples in here unless you have a suspect. I mean, if that sounds ridiculous to your listeners, it's because it is ridiculous. Uh, the Board of Elections, we need to, people's confidence in our election is at an all-time low. Uh, and we cannot fix our the problems of North Carolina if people do, cannot rely on the elections. And the other thing I'll just say is simply this. All of your listeners have heard this term all their life called State of the Union. I'm saying this mathematically and not emotionally and not politically because both political parties are responsible for what I'm getting ready to say. The union is in peril. I'm saying that mathematically. Eight years ago, I told your listeners that the next state treasurer was going to make the generational difference in the future of this state before anybody knew about COVID. That was accurate. And what I'm telling your listeners today is simply this. The next governor of North Carolina is going to have to figure out how to protect our state, our economy, our border, our livelihood, our way of life, and our culture from Washington, D.C., and our federal government's incompetence. So it's no longer the State of the Union because the Union is in peril. It's going to be states of the Union. And that's why I was so pleased just a few weeks ago to be outlined by Governing Magazine as one of three adults in America 
who can actually govern based on the best interest of their citizens. Myself, Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, and the governor of Tennessee. So Governing Magazine even recognizes that by attacking problems and not attacking people and talking about hope and not hate is the path to victory. Well, a lot of there's obviously a lot of rhetoric that's going to go on. I mean, Josh Stein, as a Democrat, is 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 has realized that one of the weaknesses he has strategically is is that people don't relate to him very well. You know, he's Harvard educated, Dartmouth, raised in Chapel Hill, so he's trying to convey, "Hey, look, I'm one of you." He's got a picture of him with a cow. He's got, you know, "Hey, I, I met my wife here, raised my kids here. I'm a North Carolinian. I know the state." So that's clearly something that in polling it has shown that Josh has a a gap, uh, a, a relational gap there. You've been in, in the House, and, and the lieutenant governor is making the case that, hey, he's got that red meat, grassroots red meat, not a lot, as many accomplishments. What do you think's on voters' minds? And I'm not, I mean, obviously, you're very accomplished in what you do, and they are, well, uh, lieutenant governor is very popular. Uh, what is it that you think voters are ultimately going to decide on? I think they're going to decide on what I said earlier. Just imagine a Republican Party that's actually based on conservatism, common sense, courtesy, and these other two, it's very important, humility and humanity. That's the Republican Party that I joined nearly 50 years ago, and that's our only hope in North Carolina to have the next Republican governor. Uh, I'll have an opportunity to debate uh, Attorney General Stein if he makes it through his primary, uh, and I look forward to that. Uh, I know he has a pedigree. Uh, I also have a pedigree of making my living with my hands and my back and my feet, which ultimately changed my heart about the need to educate my mind. So I will go toe-to-toe, back-to-back, hand-to-hand, foot-to-foot with anyone running for governor of North Carolina. But unfortunately, in the Republican primary, we have uh, Pinos, what I call politicians in name only. Uh, The night they get elected, they don't accomplish one thing after that night. And the fact is, is that you cannot apply for the job to be the governor of North Carolina if you don't have the courage to show up and debate and talk about the important issues that are actually facing the voters of North Carolina. And that's the reason in the last two presidential elections, I've received more votes than Donald Trump did twice and became the first Republican treasurer elected since President Ulysses S. Grant. Well, uh, Dale, appreciate you. Excuse me, Mr. Secretary. I appreciate you being a part of this broadcast and calling in. We're running a little bit long, but uh, one last thing. How can people find out more about you? And, uh, and then we're going to take a break. So how can people find out more about well, that right quick? I'm going to be in Charlotte uh, uh, next week uh, campaigning, and I really look forward to that and to understand that the, the, the state line does not end in Raleigh and Charlotte. It's a whole big state, and people can learn more about us at DaleFallwell.com. If you want to see about me doing my current job, they can put me on Google Alerts, just Dale Falwell, F-O-L-W-E-L-L, and uh, that's where they can learn more about our candidacy and learn more about what conservatism really is and how to speak to people like adults and what they hear makes common sense. 
Well, we appreciate that, and thank you for your time again. Dale Falwell, the current uh, Treasury Secretary for the state of North Carolina, or Treasurer, I should say. I don't speak for uh, what I love about the host of this broadcast, of WBT in general, is that you know people say, what do they tell you to talk about? You know what they do? They trust their host. They trust the people that sit behind the, the microphone. They trust their staff. That is that is what the hallmark of a great talk radio station is, is you, you have competent staff that know how to discuss things. I say that because I can't speak for Brett I, uh, Winterville. I can't speak for Pete Callender or Vince Coakley, but I, I can tell you I know them well enough to know that any of the candidates, Democrat or Republican, that are running for these seats are welcome to be a part of their broadcast. I, again, they may disagree with that. They, 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 that's their show. They can't. But I can tell you my belief is that should other candidates want to, to have that interview, They'll do a great job of, of getting the opportunity to do so. It's not, and they're welcome to call in any time, even if I'm guest hosting. And they'll they'll treat them fairly, and they'll treat them with respect, and uh, and go from there. So we appreciate Dale Falwell. You know, I, having known Dale for many years, I'd say this: that was the most. I mean, he's always a focused individual, and he has these sayings. You'll you'll see. You know, ninety percent of the understanding the problems of. I'm trying to think of. He likes to attack problems, not people. That's a dayalism. He has lots of those in the way he addresses problems. He's a very hands-on treasurer. He's a, a very direct individual. When he was working with unemployment security, he did a bang-up job. He focuses. It's what he does. It's it's different than most all politicians that I've ever met. He's the least. He's the least like a politician. I mean, he sees every job as a job, whereas so many other people see their political job as a a place to be, and they have a sense of elevation about themselves. And I'm not saying that about any other people running. It's not an indictment against anybody else running. It's just an observation, having been around politicians for the past, since, what, 88, 89, I think. One of the first national political figures was Dukakis spoke at at my college, and I was like, this guy can't get elected. There's just no way. <laughs> and sure enough, he didn't. And uh, spending some time abroad studying in England and seeing how they – I often wish that our Congress operated like their House of Lords over there where you can just really – you know, you can go after the prime minister on a regular basis, and the wit and the ability to come back is, is remarkable. We don't have that here. We have this – we try people in public with the media as the arbiter of truth, whereas they go at it toe-to-toe, face-to-face, they don't hide behind, you know, they, they have a, a fairly liberal press, but it's not like here where, you know, the, the Pelosi's of the world never really have to be in a debate with anyone. The The Democrats don't generally have to debate on the issues. They let the media do it for them. And then the Republicans try to get out there and get some, some salient points out, but it's a very uphill battle. They're fighting uphill with one hand tied behind their back and hoping to be on equal footing in some way. And it's just not, it's not an equal footing kind of way to be. On the other side of the break, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Well, I'm not going to say fun. I'm going to say worth discussing. I definitely want to get to the situation with Fauci. So we, we know for a fact that we haven't gotten to the bottom of the COVID origins. We haven't gotten to the bottom of what's going on with, with, with Fauci's role in all of this. There's a lot that's going to transpire between now and the next couple months, but they definitely are closing in on the reality and the answers. And I think Fauci's role in history will be significantly tarnished when they do. The The more fun part of what's going to happen in the next hour is we're going to talk a little bit about beavers. Yeah, those industrious little, little dam building critters. 
and how if I give you the headline, in fact, I'm going to give you the headline because it'll be something we do later in the broadcast, is that spying on beavers from space could help save California. A group of scientists taught an algorithm to spot beaver ponds with satellites, which has the potential to help drought-ridden areas like California bounce back. And uh, just a rather bizarre reality. So we'll get to that and, and what's going on there uh, in the second, in the third hour, I guess we're going to say. So again, it's been an honor and pleasure to be with you all week long. And I will round out this. I will be the last host in calendar slot for 2023. I'll hold that distinction for history, right? I'll be the one that carried it on and, and, and absolutely a pleasure. Again, do, do remind you this past month been the worst month in history, the highest single month ever recorded for the number of people coming through on migrant encounters, 276,000 folks. Uh, the, the previous record was 269,735. New record includes 230,000 Border Patrol apprehensions of illegal immigrants in December. We're going to take a break right now, kick things over to the top of the hour, find out what's going on. We'll be back. Much more to discuss here on the Pete Callender Show. We'll be right back.